You bet, and welcome to it. Good to have you along. Another edition of the Employment Law Show. John Scholes here, as always, and joining me, Chris Justice. Uh, courtesy of San Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. Chris is so ready to answer your calls, answer your questions. It is uh, confusing times, turbulent times in the employment law world. Uh, again, as we you know bleed into 2022, a lot of things you may not be aware of as far as your rights are concerned and how stable and uh, robust they still are, regardless of what you're hearing, uh, you know, in media and news and everything. So in that uh, in that form, in that way, give us a call and uh, let us know if you have any questions uh, it has to do with vaccine mandates and losing your job and as far as severance and other things are concerned that's why we do the show so you're going to want to uh, reach out if you have any questions uh, every time you ask something you're generally helping out hundreds if not thousands of other people that are wondering the same thing right so feel free to do that anytime we'll get to a, a bunch of stuff on the show today and topics will be employment law red flags and if we got time we'll get to you're not really an independent contractor and a lot of people in the dark about that particular topic as well. But first, we always uh, set the table, so to speak, Chris, with a couple things that have been happening on uh, in your office uh, as of late. Uh, how are you, pal? What's uh, what's going on in that regard? Yeah, I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me on, as always. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I do have a couple items uh, for the week that was. Uh, the, the first item or the first issue I wanted to raise had to do with a recent story coming out of the U.S., actually. And I don't want to delve too much into it, but I'm going to try to draw a parallel between the U.S. Cool. And, and Ontario. So a couple of days ago, the U.S. Supreme Court blocked uh, a vaccine mandate, something that was mm-hmm. proposed by President Biden yes. um, to to require large private companies uh, to implement these policies and require vaccinations. And the Supreme Court uh, got back and said that this would give the regulatory body down south too much power, too broad of power, and that you couldn't simply have a mandate apply just because uh, the the employer in question was a large private employer. Mm -hmm. So there was clearly a concern with the, as as I mentioned, the breadth of the power being exercised there. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, even in the U.S., there are a lot of situations where simply there is no mandate in place. And in fact, the Supreme Court has vouched for that in some sense. So if we go and and look now at the Ontario context, the Canada context, it's very similar in the sense that for the vast majority of employers in this province, at least, there are no vaccine mandates in place. And there's nothing necessarily from the government, therefore, that requires these companies to have their employees vaccinated. Um, however, uh, despite this, a lot of employers uh, in this province. No, oh, we're just waiting for Chris to get back on the uh, on the connection. He seems to have uh, taken a little bit of a breather, but I know where he's going with that one as far as mandates are concerned in uh, in Ontario. Again, you want to reach out here, 416-870-6400. That would be the number as we get into the uh, topics of the day, just getting Chris to to reconnect with us. But, uh, but yeah, that the email as well, uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca. We will try to, throughout the, uh, the show today, Get into a few emails, help at employmentlawyer.ca. I don't want to throw this out as well. We're probably referring to it, and I know Chris will during the uh, during the show, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That website is absolutely free and anonymous. There's uh, plenty of employment law goodies up there for you. You want to learn something, that's the place to go. In fact, you can go there even before the phone call to, uh, to Chris and his team at the firm enrolled into that as a severance pay calculator, which has probably been out there probably... I don't know, i got to say about seven or eight years, and literally hundreds of thousands of people across the country have used it and found out, oh, wow, that's what my severance is worth? That's awesome. 
Maybe I can uh, I can use that as a tool when calling Chris. That's exactly what it's for. Severance Pay Calculator is rolled right into that as well. And the phone number anytime to uh, reach out to Chris and his team. And that is 1-855-821-5900. 1-855-821-5900. And again, email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. So we'll get that happening. Jody, we got... Uh, we got uh, Chris back on. Yeah, we're still waiting for him, okay? Well, we're still waiting for him uh, for sure. So what we'll do is we'll uh we'll take a brief brief pause and try to get him back. Uh, Jody, you want to get uh, get Chris back? That would be awesome. And uh, we'll see. Get the gremlins out of the system. They may be frozen solid this morning. That could be the problem. So uh stay inside, stay tuned and we'll continue with more employment law show. Hang on. Okay, and we're back. John Scholes, Chris Justice, Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in this country. Chris, of course, a lawyer with the firm and doing uh, all the good stuff when he gets his uh, clients on the phone and mediations, etc. You have questions about employment law as it pertains to you, maybe a colleague or a, a friend. It's it's a, it's a scary time, right? But uh, that's okay. The uh, the laws are still robust as far as uh, common law is concerned, which is basically what we discuss on the show. Lots of stuff to get through. Chris, you were uh, you were mentioning uh, you know the parallels between uh, what happened in this big blow to uh, the Biden administration as far as mandates are concerned. You were just in the middle of, of just describing before we uh, we lost you there the parallels between that and what's happening here in Ontario continue with that pal yeah thank you very much so so what I was saying was that um, in in the situation in Ontario and, and across the country for that matter uh, there's actually no uh, for the most part government mandate that would require employees uh, or individuals to be vaccinated or even submit to testing for that matter so just as though there were concerns south of the border as far as um, imposing this across the board, uh, there are same concerns here in this province and in this country. And despite this fact, however, I've seen a lot of employers in this province uh, terminate or suspend the employment of employees for failing to comply with their vaccine policy. And despite there actually being any government mandate um, in place that, that applies to that particular industry. So they're essentially, they being the employer, are taking or making rather these big decisions with huge impacts without any binding authority to do so and essentially leaving these employees without any severance after, you know, potentially decades of service. And uh, it is definitely a somewhat confusing time at the moment, but I, I really do need to caution employers who are making these decisions um, before doing so to, to fully understand the state of the law. And if you're an employee and you're in a situation where you've lost your job or you've been suspended due to non-compliance with a COVID policy, you definitely need to give us a call because you could very well be entitled to very significant uh, severance entitlements and compensation otherwise. Yeah, it's really a really simple chat just to have with Chris and his team, uh, just to, just to get your bearings to see where you stand with all this. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's when we're not doing the doing the show. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Simple, Chris. What's the uh, what's the second thing you wanted to talk about? So yeah, so the second thing I wanted to talk about has more so to do with my real life practice. So cool. I had a case recently that I settled, and it had to do with the issue of whether or not breaks or interruptions in somebody's service, an employee's service with their mm-hmm. employer, whether or not those interruptions or breaks would impact the severance they get on their way out when they're essentially terminated, let's say, for good. Um, and so I had a, a client of mine who started working for a company back in 2010. And he worked for about four years. And at the four-year mark, he was let go. 
Uh, he then returned working for that employer later on in that year uh, okay. at, at the employer's request. And again, worked for another four years, and then he left the company again. And finally, he returned for a second time and worked for a couple of years before being let go for good. So essentially, he had two breaks in his service from 2010 all the way to 2020 when his last day was. Mm -hmm. And there was a question as far as whether or not he should be viewed as someone with just one or two years of service, which would have been his most recent stint with the company. Or instead, if he should be viewed as someone who had approximately 10 years of service, if we go all the way back to 2010 when he first started with them. Right. Gotcha. And the employer in that case tried to argue that each time this gentleman came back, he was given essentially a fresh new contract uh, or, or I guess in some way was treated um, completely fresh. Uh, whereas what I was trying to advance on his behalf is that actually when he came back each time, it was almost as though he never left. So he had his benefits reinstated immediately. He had his old vacation entitlements from when he was there before. And he was otherwise just welcomed and greeted by the company as though he had always been there. And that's a huge part of the analysis is, is how is that employee treated when they come back? Are they required to sign a fresh new contract? Are they not? And is things just, do things just continue as status quo as they had been? And in this gentleman's case, in fact, there was a lot of information to suggest that he did come back as though he never left. Um, so those, those features I mentioned, his, his vacation, his benefits, yeah. they all remained the same. His employer actually requested that he come back each of those two times. Um, and so because of that, fortunately, we were able to get this individual a severance package that would fit someone with 10 years of service rather than one or two. And a lot of people come to me thinking maybe the prior service they had doesn't count or shouldn't count because they cut ties with the company and then mm -hmm. rejoined at a later point. And these people just need to know that that's not necessarily the case, that that you can get credit and oftentimes will get credit for those previous years. So again, if you're, if you're someone in this situation or you have some questions about whether or not you should be credited with certain tenure or service with the company beforehand, then again, definitely give us a shout because as I say, in this man's case, we're able to get him a very good severance package based on the full 10 year tenure. Again, reaching out any time uh, to Chris and his team, one 821 5900 with that type of problem or many more. But here and now, of course, 416-870-6400. You know, a couple things there. Um, number one, how long, I guess it depends on how long you were working in between the, the stints, as you call right. it. How long is the threshold between you can still say, well, I kind of hit the ground running when I came back, so that's a continuance and will add to my, or at least count, when it comes to any potential severance, if I'm let go, and then the term he left versus he was let go, does it make a difference if you leave on on your own? You know, if you resign and then come back right. six months later, or did you, or for this to qualify, does he have to be let go and terminated and then come back? Right. So, so for the first question, there isn't necessarily a, a specific threshold that would have okay. to be reached. Um, there are definitely situations where someone has left. And, and come back after three or four months, and that's not really been a problem. Uh, there's also situations where someone has come back over a year later, and it hasn't necessarily been a problem. Now, what I will say, of course, is the longer you let, you know, the longer the time passes, there, there may be a, a greater likelihood that you can't go back and count that prior service, but there's no precise science to it, I'll say. 
Um, so, so that would just have to be something that's assessed on a case by case basis. And then as far as your second question, it also doesn't necessarily matter, uh, the context of why you left. It, it could, it could play a role, but again, there are cases in the past where people have both quit or been let go and rejoined and still have had that prior service counted for the severance. Always good stuff to know. Again, reaching out uh, any time to Chris, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. If we've got some time uh, on the show today, we'll try to get to a couple of emails. Failing that, you can always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website free and anonymous, and lots of uh, great information there as well. Okay, moving on. Employment law, red flags. Let's uh, machete our way through a few of these because it's important stuff. Number one, Chris, I know you want to answer these. Despite many stellar performance reviews, your employer puts you on a performance improvement plan how about that one yeah this is a fairly common situation that Mm -hmm. i come across in my practice a lot of times people that i speak to employees will often tell me that they uh, are performing very well with the company that they've had no negative performance reviews that they haven't received any written warnings for example relating to performance and yet all of a sudden they get put on this performance improvement plan And the plan essentially says, well, first of all, we aren't that satisfied with your performance for X, Y, Z reasons. Right. And secondly, oftentimes it will say that if these performance issues don't improve over a certain period of time, we may actually have to uh, terminate your employment and possibly for cause, in which case you would get nothing on your way out. So it's a very serious situation and, and particularly serious if you disagree with the criticisms that are being uh, forwarded your way. So so one of the things in this situation that I tell people is that if, if you've been put on a performance improvement plan, you need to understand why and you need to understand what the company's basis for that is. And if the company is putting you on a plan because they believe your performance is poor or lacking in some respect, Again, you need specificity or clarification on exactly what they think you're doing wrong or not doing that well, because you may completely object and disagree with everything they've said, or you may have some explanation or something along those lines. And if that's the case, you're going to want to put that in writing. Uh, As with many things, putting things in writing can definitely help you on uh, later on down the road. But you want to make your objection known, because if you're silent, you could be seen as essentially condoning or agreeing to that. And a lot of times your company will ask you actually to sign the performance improvement plan, which indicates you you agree, you understand, and then you'll work towards improving. And if you disagree fundamentally with their view of things, then you don't want to sign something like that. So you want to make your objection known uh, clearly. Because this company could end up trying to rely on this performance improvement plan, as I mentioned, later on down the road if they choose to terminate your employment. So that's one thing you'll definitely want to do is is note your objection. And you should also know that if you're subject to a performance improvement plan that is unfair, that is unjust, that is inaccurate, and um, you know this can be a very stressful time, the mere fact that the company... Uh, put you on this plan, possibly without any justification, that on its own could potentially result in a constructive dismissal. And you may actually be entitled to significant severance just by virtue of that fact, uh, especially if it's completely unjustified. So that's definitely a red flag that you'll want to check out for if you're an employee. Got lots more of those on the way. I want to slide into a call in between though. Tony, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time today and standing by for a moment. How are you? 
And not bad yourself. Beauty, what's on your mind, Hi. brother? Hi there, Tony. Okay, well, I'm actually calling. Uh, it's it's uh, an issue that my daughter has with her company. She's been there for 10 years. And lately, they've been kind of laying off people because of the pandemic. They're telling them that they could be coming back in two months, three months. It's uncertain. She's worried that they're going to slowly lay everybody off and then shut the company down. She's been there for 10 years. So they're worried that they're going to shut the company down and she's going to lose her severance. Um, can they do that? So just so I'm clear, Tony, has your daughter, is your daughter still working? She hasn't yet been laid off or, or anything like that? Yeah, they laid her off yesterday. Oh, they did lay her off. Okay. And did yeah. they lay her off because they said business was slow on account of COVID-19? They didn't put it exactly in those <clears throat> words, but they said it had something to do with, you know, uh, the, uh, the economy, uh, the, the pandemic, and everything right. else. They didn't really give her too much details, but they said, we, we, uh, we're not firing you. We're just letting you, we're just laying you off. We're going to most likely <clears throat> call you back and everything else. Uh, so be ready that we might call you back. She's scared because of the way they've been doing things lately, that right. the way they've been laying things off, leaving people off. She's worried that they're going to shut down and just so they don't have to pay severance pay. Has she ever been laid off in the past by this company or is this the first time? Um, I think this is the first time. I can't recall. Oh, I think maybe once during the pandemic <clears throat> in the beginning, I think they did shut down for a bit. They shut the whole company down for a bit. It was a short time, but um, then she was called back right away. But this time she said there were other signs, other things going on in the company that, that made her feel a little bit insecure. I understand. So uh, generally speaking, for the most part, employees uh, or rather employers cannot lay off employees without their consent. So this could take the form of a contract that the employee might have signed that speaks to the ability to lay somebody off, or this could have to do with your daughter possibly consenting or agreeing to lay off maybe verbally or in writing in some other way. But if that isn't the case, then in the vast majority of these cases where people are laid off, companies actually don't have the right to do that, despite what they may think. And that mere layoff itself could be seen as a termination. And if your daughter is worried about the finances of the company and worried about the company potentially being wound up later on down the road, then I would definitely suggest that she give our office a call because she's probably going to want to take action sooner rather than later uh, for a variety of reasons. And if she doesn't think she's truly going to be recalled back, then this could very well be a situation where the employer is trying to have its cake and eat it too by laying them off, not paying them, but not necessarily terminating them and having to pay them severance. And they may simply not be able to avoid that. So um, again, I would say that your daughter could have potentially significant severance entitlements for an employee with 10 years. She could get upwards of a year of severance potentially. Um, I would definitely have her call in and maybe we could gather some more facts and um, you know, just give her a better idea of what her options are so that she can make the best informed decision. Tony, appreciate the time today. And there you go. We're going to let you go and move on. But uh, they, like Chris says, give them a call, right? Have a little bit of a lengthier conversation and get some clarity. one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. Lots more employment law show is on the way. Stand by. 
And welcome back to it. Chris Justice is your guy, a lawyer, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, coast to coast to coast. Reach out to Chris, 1-855-821-5900. They have helped and, uh, you know, satisfied thousands, tens of thousands of, of clients across the country. You want to get the compensation you deserve and you are owed. Again, we always say it's not a lottery ticket or a windfall. This is uh, something you should pursue all the time. And that would be your, your common law rights as far as severance and other things are concerned the um, uh, employment law sphere. Chris is the perfect guy to do that. Email anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca. As we get some more calls lined up here, Chris, want to get back to our uh, employment law red flags. Number two, your employer gives you half of your coworkers' workload and moves you to an office much further away. That is very nice of them. Right, right. Yeah. So, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be the workload or the office, but if your employer is changing the terms of your employment, and, and insisting that you do things that you didn't sign up to do, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe that you work in a place much further away, which you didn't sign up to agree to, um, that could trigger what's known as a constructive dismissal. And you as an employee would have the ability to object to those changes, to object to those, um, you know, to that move, for example, or to that extra workload. Um, and at that point, if your employer is going to still insist that the changes are what they are and it is what it is, uh, again, that's what triggers potential severance entitlements through this constructive dismissal um, uh, path that you could take. Right. So, so definitely a big concern, uh, something that I've seen a lot in my practice. A lot of times, uh, unfortunately, I'm dealing with individuals who um, had those changes implemented over, say, you know, a year or maybe a little less than a year ago. And it sometimes can be a bit harder to, um, you know, kind of fix that situation. So that's why it's always important as soon as these changes are brought to your attention that you consult with a lawyer, that you get some legal advice because you, um, like I say, you can object to them. But if you don't and you're silent and enough time passes, you could be seen as condoning those changes. Right. But Otherwise, definitely some potential severance entitlements there. And, and, you know, especially if you're a long-term service employee, they could be very significant. Another employment law red flag is this one. And this one that we, I know you've seen all the time. And this one, you really got to take a pause and reach out to you and the, uh, and your folks, your friends at the firm, or at least your colleagues anyway. And that is after a few years on the job, your employer asks you to sign, oh, new employment agreement. Right, right. And again, this is another situation where I found myself in talking to individuals and I find out that maybe there's three or four or five different agreements they've signed uh, throughout the course of their employment. But if, if your employer is coming to you a few years into the job and asking you to sign a new contract, most definitely you need to try to understand why it is they're doing that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times what I'm told from employees or individuals is that the company is just saying they need to, to do some paperwork. You know, they try to underplay it a bit and the employee doesn't fully appreciate the impact of them signing this new agreement. Um, oftentimes, one of the reasons employers want these individuals to sign these agreements is because the agreements have updated language in them, language that it uh, sort of fits with the law, um, and it's just a more ironclad, so to speak, agreement for the company. It gives them more protection. A lot of times, for example, there are termination sections in the agreement that really limit someone's rights uh, if they ever were to be terminated, and that may not have existed in prior agreements. So, for example, by signing a new agreement with a termination clause in there that's very ironclad and solid, 
um, whereas before one didn't exist, you could be losing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially in severance should you know an exit ever occur. Um, and all it really takes for the employer to make an agreement like this enforceable or binding mm -hmm. is by providing you with some form of a benefit in exchange for signing the agreement. And it doesn't have to be that big of a benefit. It could be a dollar raise. It could be a one-time you know, minor bonus being given to you. So as you said, John, definitely be on the lookout if an employer is approaching you with a new contract, especially if it's one that's of you know, you know, many pages long. Right. Uh, with a lot of language in it and, and definitely contact uh, a lawyer and, and get some advice before doing that. Yeah, it's interesting. And I know these have uh, increased over the last uh, year and a half, two years with uh, with the pandemic and, and employers are having to, right. or at least trying to rework their uh, employment contracts and dishing them out to employees, which they already have. Now, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the one-time bonus, a dollar raise or a new car or something like that. I mean, right, consideration, right. I believe, is the legal term they you have to be provided. So what Correct. happens if you get this uh, employment contract and you do sign it, but you don't get anything in return, no consideration? Is it still legally binding or you don't want to risk? it or you can throw it away well yeah in that case there's a very very good chance that it wouldn't be binding because as you mentioned consideration has to go both ways mm -hmm. if if the company is going to gain a benefit by you signing a new contract then there, there has to be a benefit going your way so if there's no benefit and the contract is completely one-sided in that respect and you as the employee still end up signing that contract um, you may be in, in a better position to, to be able to say, well, no, I'm, I don't think that there should be any reliance on this contract because, you know, John, as you mentioned, there'd be no consideration going that employee's way. So if they're in that situation, that, that could definitely improve things. Um, but ultimately, it'll come down to a case by case basis. And as always, uh, you don't want to take that as gospel. If you're if you're wondering, if you're on the fence, you want to call Chris, much like the non-compete clause, okay, that's probably not going to stick if you challenge it, but just don't blow it away and just don't forget about it. You want to reach out to Chris and his team anytime with any of these matters, right? one 821 5900 and email help at employmentlawyer.ca. Yeah, employment law red flags, we're going down the list. Here's another one. Yep. You've asked your employer twice, <clears throat> maybe more, to investigate sexual harassment by a coworker but nothing's been done about it, which and in this day and age, in this climate, you can't believe that still happens, but you get that all the time as well, right? Yeah, no, most definitely you do. And, and I've come across this situation a number of times. And, and a lot of times it can be quite contentious. And there's uh, usually a big difference of facts between the employer and the employee. You know, the employer oftentimes might say, well, you know, we never, um, we never actually received any complaint from your client or... You know, the pro there was a certain process that was supposed to be um, carried through mm -hmm. that wasn't. And, and, you know, so there's certain examples that they could give where they try to say, well, we didn't really know about it. Um, and, and it could be an outright lie for all I know. But what I usually start with in, in these cases with employees is I, I ask them whether or not there is a policy and, and, you know, there should be a policy, an anti-harassment policy, for example, um, that will have certain steps in it that are to be followed in terms of reporting the harassment. And so if you as the employee follow those steps, comply with the company's own policy, report the harassment to your manager or somebody else, and it kind of goes up the chain, and the employer doesn't follow through with it or the employer drops the ball and doesn't commence an investigation, right. whatever it may be, then obviously you've got a good case to say that that employer has breached or failed to comply with its own policy, first of all. 
Um, secondly, obviously, if, if the employer is required to keep the workplace safe under the Occupational Health and Safety Act and they fail to do something in this context, they could be breaching that piece of legislation, number two. So the employer could be in a lot, hot, a lot of hot water in terms of failing to investigate these complaints. And if you can show that you've done everything you can do to advance your complaints, then, then I think the employer is at a severe amount of risk. And to sort of remain in that environment, which, mm-hmm. you know, the, the employer could arguably be condoning that kind of conduct, the employee, again, may have the option. I go back to the concept of constructive dismissal. The employee themselves may then at that point have the option of leaving that workplace because of the failure of the employer to investigate. And the employee may be entitled to severance on their way out as though they'd been let go. In, in, and I should say, in addition to other compensation right. as well, I mean, there could be harassment uh, claims. Obviously, there could be human rights claims. So that's a huge red flag. And, you know, as an employee, you can only do so much. And if your employer is going to drop the ball, then again, uh, especially in a situation like this, getting a resolution sooner rather than later is paramount. So contacting a law firm would be would be essential. And I think one of the key things you said uh, at the beginning of, of this talking point as far as harassment is concerned, your employer may say, right. oh, we never heard about it. They never reported it. This goes back to what you said in the first segment of the show today, and that is write it down. Get everything yes. in writing, if only for your own records, contem- contemporaneous records of what's going on, what happened. Number two, I know we've got to break in about a minute here, Chris, but I'll throw this one at you quickly, and this is a question yeah. we always follow up with, is what happens if the person you're supposed to be reporting to, maybe it's a one- or two-person shop, that's the one doing the Is harassment. the one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like uh, usually a policy might say report something to your manager, your direct supervisor. Yep. But as you mentioned, in a lot of those cases, people tend to have problems with their manager, their direct supervisor. So um, to your point, that wouldn't really be uh, something you should do. Now, from from what I understand, a lot of these policies have sort of a, a contingency plan, we'll call it, in the event that the uh, alleged harasser is your manager or your boss there's usually somebody else that you can report to, whether it's in HR um, or, or some uh, maybe individual contact that specifically deals with these complaints that's um, sort of outside of things. Uh, so that's that's kind of a starting point that I would say, um, because there definitely should be someone, you know, you should be able to report to. And that's often put in those plans. So I would I would start with that. Um, if, if there's still no real guidance and there's no HR division and it's a very small company, you know, there could be extenuating circumstances there. And, um, you know, obviously, I wouldn't want anyone to raise these issues with the alleged harasser themselves if there's no other option. So in in those, I guess, instances, I would say, give us a call and let us know. But there should usually be a second contact point for those those cases. And with that, we'll take a short break and get back into more of this, uh, you know, employment law, red flags and all that. And if we have time, we'll move on to you're not really an independent contractor. And we'll give you those details in the meantime, reaching out. You could do it anytime with Chris. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca and 1-855-821-5900. Employment Law Show continues. And welcome back to the show. Chris Justice is your guy, Sam Firu Tamark, and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. Now more than ever, you need to get your bearings, got to get your information straight. You can uh, have a phone call with Chris just to chat. won't cost you anything just to get some uh, some information, kind of what you hear on the show here several times uh, during the week. But that number, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. <coughs> and even before that phone call, you just want to, uh, to learn some things and be better armed in the employment law sphere. That's easy. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's free. 
and it's anonymous. We are talking on the show today, employment law red flags. Here is another one that most people don't realize the uh, the ins and outs of this one. Your employer says, you know what, guy, you weren't, uh, you weren't the right fit for the job, and they fire you. They let you go, but they do it for cause. How about that one? Yeah, anytime an employer fires you for cause, immediate alarm bells go off in my head because the the chances of an employer actually being able to terminate someone for cause is is relatively very low. It it is seen as the what's called I guess the capital punishment of the employment yeah. law world. And there is a very, very high onus that the employer has to meet in order to establish cause. Uh, usually, it either has to involve a series of repeated errors, uh, whether it's willful or negligent over you know, many months or years, and despite warnings, uh, or it involves perhaps a very serious breach of trust, something mm-hmm. very egregious, maybe an instance of theft or deceit, but in general, again, it's very, very hard to prove cause. And if the employer is saying you weren't the, quote, right fit, you know, that in and of itself is a very vague statement. So it, it could be that they're not the right fit because they stole from the company. Fair enough. But uh, without some further information, uh, you know, if the company is just saying you're not the right fit and we're letting you go for cause, that's just you know, not acceptable. Um, and there's a very good chance that you're owed severance in, in that case. I mean, to, to sort of use a topical instance, you know, if we're talking about the COVID vaccine, a lot of people are being terminated for cause because they're not agreeing to get vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, which you could argue means that they're not the right fit for the company. But if the government in the most in most cases isn't requiring vaccines, then how can the company itself justify cause just based on its own internal policy that doesn't line up with the government? Uh, what the government's saying or, or line up with a mandate so that's a huge red flag that that you as an employee should be aware of and um yeah there's a very good chance in those cases you're you're going to be entitled to severance now having said that if the company or your supervisor whoever comes up to you says you know you're not the right fit or you know chris we don't like the cut of your jib we're going to let you go they can do that generally for the most part barring any human rights uh, violations they can do that but they have to pay you severance to do that right yeah, that's correct. And 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 the the phrase you're not the right fit is in one way or another something I often see. You know, sometimes they say it's due to restructuring. Uh, you know, we've had to make a business decision to let yeah. you go. And as you pointed out, the vast majority of these cases employers are entitled to do that. So long as, you know, as you said there's no discrimination at play, there's no serious bad faith at play, an employer can make that business decision to let you go provided they pay you a reasonable amount of severance on your way out. And there you go. Anytime he's got the knowledge and the expertise, you want to reach out to Chris. He's going to be doing a lot more of these shows as the weeks and months and years continue. So uh, so there you go, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's get into one more of these as we wrap this up and move on. <coughs> Employment law, red flags. You are laid off after undergoing major surgery despite the boss promising full-time work upon your return. How about that? Yeah, so this particular situation raises some some red flags in terms of a potential human rights issue, right? So you are laid off after doing major surgery. Your boss promises you uh, full-time work upon your return. So the question is, is, is the company going to be looking at you any differently as a result of perhaps being injured or, or undergoing some surgery? 
Um, and are they going to, you know, adversely affect your employment with the company for fear that maybe you get re-injured or maybe they don't want to accommodate you uh, after the surgery or, or some changes happen where they just think this is the better situation for you now and, and going forward, this is what it should be. So if, if you're an employee and you're affected in terms of your employment with the company, um, in, in part at all, it doesn't have to be 100%, but just in part due to having surgery, being off on a medical leave, whatever it is, then there, there is a very good chance that there could be some discrimination afoot there. And so it's definitely something you want to be live to and not necessarily rely on a promise that was given to you. Um, again, I don't know if this boss's promise would have been put in writing Right. Um, it's yeah. always good because you never know later on down the line, oh, I never promised that. I never told you that. And then you get into this battle of he said, she said. Um, but uh, yeah, there definitely be some some alarm bells in this situation. I'm going to slide over to a couple of emails with, uh, with some time here, Chris. First one from Ali yeah. again, uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Ali writes in and says, hey, Chris, I was let go with 12 weeks pay after 12 years with the company in a specialized role. I'm 67. When I asked about a larger severance package, my boss said that the termination clause in the company's contracts don't allow it. But I have a copy of said contract that I signed, and it doesn't contain any termination clauses. What should I do? Right. So this is sort of related to what we were talking about before. But in Ali's situation, you know, he's getting 12 weeks of pay after 12 years with the company, and he's in his 60s, his late yeah. 60s. So depending on the size of the company, it actually appears that he may have been given less than what the company's minimum obligations are owed towards him. Um, but that issue aside, 12 weeks for 12 years is just simply way, way, way too low. Um, and if it's true that the last contract he signed doesn't have any termination clause in it, then that likely will mean that he's entitled to severance uh, based on common law rights. Yeah. And, you know, for a 12-year employee in their 60s, you could get 14, 16, 18 months of severance, uh, which is a huge difference from 12 weeks. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're being offered this package. I mean, I don't know if Ali's being asked to sign a release or sign something in order to get those 12 weeks, but you definitely don't want to sign anything in this case. And, and you definitely want to give us a shout because... Um, yeah, the, the, the difference between what your minimum obligations or entitlements are and what your common law full rights are are huge. In this case, Ali could be looking at a quite quite a big severance package. You know, it's interesting too because our regular listeners will realize the you know, the main main components. There's more than that, but the main component is you know age, length of employment, and position when it comes to calculating severance. So, a he's 67. You know, right. He's an older guy. Twelve years is a pretty good length of service. But he also said in there a specialized role. Would that could that increase the package? Because there's probably fewer opportunities. Maybe depending on what he does, we don't know. But could that increase the package as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you've correctly pointed out some of the factors the courts will look at in terms of trying to figure out how much severance Ali should get. And length of service is one. Age is another. And and yeah, the specialized role is a third uh, because the whole point of severance is to tide that person over until they're right. able to find something comparable. But if you work in a very niche, specialized role, especially if you're let go in the midst of a pandemic when opportunities may be even more slim, 
then that will also factor into how much severance that person should get. Because I would imagine if you've got that type of a role, like you say, there are much less opportunities out there for similar roles. And if Ali's skill set is also very niche, where he can only perform in particular roles for that kind of uh, compensation, then, then that is very much a relevant factor in the equation for sure. And that has been a busy show. We're going to hold off uh, from there and uh, save, uh, keep some powder dry for the next time that we're on, Chris. In the meantime, I want to reach out to Mr. Justice. You can do so. Here is how you begin with that. one 821 5900 the email address we use, like Ali did. You can as well. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And then the whole website constructed to educate you more about your personal uh, employment law rights, your common law rights, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's free. It's anonymous. And it's also got the severance pay calculator in there as well. Appreciate your uh, your filling in with the show. Uh, all your letters and emails and phone calls we didn't get around to you. We'll get you next time. And we'll take it off and leave it there. Until next time, Employment Law Show, right here at Global News Radio.